0: Hello and happy new year before we get to this week's episode. I wanted to just take a few minutes to reflect on 2019 and look ahead to 2020. And I want to start off 2019 with an incredible and heartfelt. Thank you from Linda and I, to all of you who have supported the, we have cancer podcast and the we have cancer community this past year. We've covered. A multitude of topics have talked to so many wonderful people. We learned about some organizations doing incredible work like the colon club in episode 113, we learned about the Dana Farber young onset colorectal cancer center in episode 118. And we started the year actually on new year's day, 2019, interviewing Dr. Karen Hehenberger who is the CEO and founder of Lifebulb, doing incredible work supporting those dealing with chronic illness, including cancer. I got the opportunity to interview a couple of fellow podcasters like Truett Taylor of the 1% uh, podcast. Truett is a colorectal cancer survivor, and that was in episode 119, and Wendy Cooper, an ovarian cancer survivor, in episode 138. We covered all types of cancer this past year, colorectal cancer, melanoma, ovarian cancer, breast cancer, brain cancer, childhood cancer. We even had the opportunity to talk to Markina Ilyev-Paselli, who got through her breast cancer through competitive air guitar competition. And you can listen to my interview with Markina back at episode 130. As we look ahead to 2020, we already have uh, five interviews uh, already in the can, as they say, Uh, just a summary of who we've got coming up. We're going to start the year uh, on January 14th interviewing a friend of mine, a local friend here in the Tampa Bay community and colon cancer survivor. Maureen Famiano. We're going to talk to Matt Newman, who is an author and a brain cancer survivor and learn about his inspiring story. We're going to talk to Linda Walters. Linda Walters is also an author and wrote the incredible book Voices of Cancer. We talked to pastor Dan Neismonger. Dan is currently dealing with colon cancer himself. And we also interviewed Meg Hirschberg, who is the founder of the anti-cancer lifestyle program. I know you're going to enjoy these upcoming episodes, but what I'm most excited about in 2020 is that in late February, we will be celebrating our five-year anniversary. It'll be five years since we first launched what was then called the colon cancer podcast, now known, obviously, as you know, we have cancer podcasts. So we're looking to do some uh, fun things uh, to uh, celebrate that five-year anniversary. As we wrap up 2019, I would be remiss without mentioning the recent passing just a few days ago of a good friend, who I had the chance to meet briefly uh, about a year and a half ago, uh, and that is Heather Schiller. Heather and her husband Fred were the episode that I chose to celebrate our 100th episode, so you can listen to their, their story back in episode 100. And sadly, uh, Heather passed away on Friday, December 28th. I also want to acknowledge the other members of the We Have Cancer community who left us this past year, Cherie Garcia, Julian Edwards, Charles Griffin Jr., and Valerie Schlosser. May their memory be a blessing to all who knew and loved them. On to this week's episode. Each year, more than 12 million people will hear the same three devastating words. You have cancer. I'm Lee Silverstein, a survivor of pediatric kidney cancer and stage four colon cancer. My amazing wife, Linda, has taught me that we have cancer because every one of us is affected by it in some way. Survivors, family, friends, and medical and support team members. And we all have a story worth telling. Welcome to We Have Cancer. Welcome to episode 141 of We Have Cancer. Thank you so much for joining me. And Happy Hanukkah. Merry Christmas to all who celebrate. I celebrate Hanukkah. My wife celebrates Christmas. So uh, we've got all our bases covered. And I want to wish you and all who love you first and foremost, good health, happiness, joy, and peace this holiday and in the new year coming ahead. Thank you so much for your support and devotion to the podcast and the work that we do. It means so much to me and my wife, Linda, and uh, we want to wish all of you all of the best. My guest this week is Mark Potter. Mark spent many, many years in the television news business and retired from NBC as a news correspondent. And in April of 2019, sadly, his wife Judith passed away from cancer. And Mark's story is about how he used his newfound uh, love of photography as a way to find some solitude some time for healing while his wife was uh, going through her cancer he would you know take the time early early in the morning while she was sleeping to go out and photograph the beautiful sunrises of the Miami skyline and continued to do that after her passing and we talked about not only Mark's story of caring for his wife Judith but how his hobby his photography has provided him a sense of healing and you know as he's worked through the grief of the death of his wife and why sunrises versus sunsets you have to listen to understand the significance of sunrises And what's become of these incredible photographs that he takes each and every morning. And you've got to check out his work. I've got a few samples posted on our website at wehavecancershow.com. But the best thing you can do is to follow Mark on Instagram where he posts these incredible photographs each and every day. You can follow Mark at Mark Miami. On Instagram, and I highly recommend you do that to see his incredible, beautiful work. So join me now for my conversation with Mark Potter. Mark, thanks so much for joining the show, and a little shout out to our mutual friend Kerry Sanders for for putting us together.
1: I'm glad he did that.
0: I am as well. And you know, you spent over 40 years as a journalist with NBC, telling stories, and now. There's a story behind a new medium for you, and that's photography. Right. Tell us how this daily posting, on especially on Instagram, and for our listeners, you can see Mark's sunrise photos at Mark Potter Miami. How did you get started in this?
1: I have been interested in photography most of my life. Uh, when I was a, a, a broadcast journalist for 41 years. At uh, actually six different organizations at the network level, I was at ABC, CNN, and then finally NBC. I carried a hip camera with me and photographed um, news stories that I was working on. Things photographed things related to the news stories. Sometimes would photograph scenics, but I started into it more heavily when I retired from NBC in the spring of 2016, I started going out to shoot sunrises just for something to do. I had bought a a good Canon camera, much more sophisticated than I was. It was recommended to me by an NBC cameraman who said, yes, this is way beyond your capabilities right now, but you will grow into it. And he was right. Ultimately, I did. I started shooting sunrises just for something to do. And then, unfortunately, a month after my going away party from NBC, my wife, Judith, and I received uh, catastrophic news for us that she had high-stage ovarian cancer. And that was just, that was a shotgun blast. That was very difficult to deal with. But we, we rallied and we went right into arranging for cancer care at the Sylvester Center in Miami. And I continued when I could to do some photography. In the mornings, but there came a point, Lee, where I just quit. I quit doing that. I quit my new involvement with Facebook. I wasn't on Instagram yet, and I pretty much disappeared for two years as I got fully involved in my wife's cancer care. As I myself had to deal with my own emotions and depression and anxiety and terror over the fear I was going to lose her, which turned out to be the case. And into that period of time, uh, my wife was always urging me, you need to get back out. You need to go out and start the fishing that you used to do. I want you to go back out and do the photography. And so I finally decided to go back to shoot pictures because I could do it near the house and be nearby. So I started going out. At, I would wake up at five in the morning. I would check on her, make sure she was okay. And then I would slip out of the house. I'm not going to say sneak out of that because she knew I was doing it. (laughs) I would slip out of the house quietly. And then I would go to a park near the house on Biscayne Bay. And I would shoot these gorgeous, uh, the the sunrises were gorgeous and different every day. And I would shoot them, come home, process the photo and put it out on, at that time, Facebook, later Instagram. And then I would begin from eight o'clock till about 10 o'clock at night. 14 hours a day of cancer care and I started doing that and putting the photos out and it, it was interesting because it sort of grew people started alerting to the photos and they liked the photos and it in time became a sort of a happening I, I did not expect any of this I didn't expect to grow when my I, and I could never explain to people what they wanted to know most which which was you're a retiree why are you You idiot. (laughs) Photographing sunrises when, as a retiree, you could wake up late and go shoot sunsets. Good question. Asked, you know, in a friendly way, but I couldn't answer it because my wife didn't want me to describe at all publicly her cancer battle. She was very, very private. I respected that. So I just kind of blew it off. When she died on April 12th and shortly afterward, I did post- an obituary in the Miami Herald. And I, I did a, a message, a long message to everyone on Facebook. And I told them at that time that the reason I was shooting morning photos was because that was the only time that I had. And you could hear you, a, a collective slapping of the forehead from everyone who suddenly <laughs> realized, oh, I get it. Now we get it. And um, I also said, now I can say publicly that these photos, all the ones that I shot before, And all the ones I'm shooting now and in the future are dedicated publicly and lovingly to her. They are Judith's sunrises. And that started something. You know, people started reacting to that. And uh, I get emotional just talking about it. The reaction has been outrageous. But everyone started, uh, if I don't post... They call me up and ask what's wrong.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Now, you know, you've made an impact, right?
1: I think so. And, and people started to say, oh, we get it. Now we get it. It means so much more to us too. Now that there's, there's a story behind the story. And so now I will post and on Facebook, I'll get 125, 200 likes a day, many comments And I've gotten comments from people that completely blow me away. I mean, most of the comments are from old friends going back to first grade, many from high school in Ann Arbor, Michigan, the class of 71, a lot of them from the broadcast news industry, particularly NBC. But occasionally someone will show up that just knocks me out. And then one of those the other day was a guy named Nick Utt. You might not know the name. But you certainly know the iconic Pulitzer prize running photo that he shot during the Vietnam War of the little girl running down the road sure. after a U.S. napalm attack, and he shot that photo, which changed America's view of the Vietnam War. And there he is on my page. Wow, talking about my sunrises. Sure. So it's been it's been a really it's been great for me. It's been a surprise to me the reaction, and it's. Given me something to do, and it's giving me a—it's given me a job to go do every morning in a very low-pressure way, and I've enjoyed it. I've really enjoyed it.
0: And the and the photos really are spectacular. Thank you. Uh, you know, you. It, it sounds cliche. Oh, you know, sunrise pictures, sunset pictures, but when you actually see them on Instagram, each one truly is unique. Thank you. And and uh, you know, so you did this because that was the time on your schedule that you were able that you were able to do it uh how long before the symbolism of sunrise kind of made that connection with versus
1: Uh, sunset well pretty early on i knew what i was doing i knew why i was doing it i knew what it meant and it was a period of reflection for me i would go out there in the morning and i still do it every virtually every morning now And I I attend what I call, every morning I go out to what I call church without a roof. It's church without a roof. I mean, I get out there sometimes, almost always I'm by myself. It's dark. And I watch the, the blue light come up and the stars fade. And then the sun starts to, the light starts to come up. And eventually the sun pops up either on the horizon or over the clouds. And that's, every day is like a beginning. Every day is different. You can lose a lot of money, Lee, by betting on what the sunrise is going to look like. <laughs> you think you know. It's different, and it's a surprise. And every day, you get something else. And some days when the sunrises are rather tepid, well, then that's the day like yesterday when you shoot the pelican, and you get a great shot that you didn't expect of a pelican. or I got one yesterday of an osprey, You know, diff- uh, a sh- some sharks, uh, an alligator, a crocodile, or whatever, but mostly... It is, it's, it's, it's a time for me of reflection and I go out there and I, and you know, it's, it's Judith and me for a little while. A nice thing that happens, Lee, is that I am in the beginning of the day by myself, but almost always, except in a few locations, I'm joined by people, fellow photographers show up, people that go out there and they do a Tai Chi or they do exercises or whatever they run, they come by on bikes and they say hi. And we have our own little gathering in the morning, to, you know, welcoming the sun. So there's, it's communal as well as it is personal. And that's nice. That's good for me. And I've met so many people. There are three people, three other photographers, Bev Armstrong, Oscar Lopez, and the late uh, commercial photographer, Steve Lipson, who I met out there, who were instrumental in getting me started. They taught me so much. And then um, a fourth guy, uh on whose computer I'm talking to you right now? At today's writer named Vince Genova, uh, helped me learn how to do editing on Lightroom. So these uh, these guys have all become part of this. They've reached out to help me. They know why I'm doing it, and they can't wait to tell me more, you know, about what to do. I'm soaking it all up like a sponge, and it's it's been nice socially as well. As it has been as uh, supportive emotionally, and it it means a lot. I would. I would urge other, other cancer caregivers to find some, there's nothing wrong, I think, with doing a little bit for yourself. You can't, I know that you have, you're, you're, you're a prisoner to your home, you're a prisoner to the hospital or whatever sometimes, but if there's a moment where you can get out and kind of refresh yourself and change your view and it'll help you be a better caregiver, to be honest with you. I think, I think it does help.
0: That's been a common theme from the other caregivers that we've interviewed on the podcast that, you know, you get to this realization, unfortunately, some later than sooner, yeah. that if I'm going to be a caregiver, it's got to start with me first. Yeah, because that's going to yeah. impact my ability to care. for. Well,
1: I, I found that in a very dramatic way, because I said I disappeared for two years. I, I had a sort of an emotional collapse. Want to go into that too much because the story is more about the recovery and about my wife. But I did do that and I isolated and that was the wrong Thing to do. I mean, you can't help it, your emotional reaction. I left my job. My mother died. My father was sick. I knew what my wife was in deep trouble, my life partner. I had a lot on my plate. And so, of course, you have an emotion. And I was a tough guy. I covered narcos. I covered wars. I covered disasters. And it hit me so hard when I was facing the prospect of losing. Judith. I mean, they, it just hit me in a way that I have never been hit before. And, but I got back out of it eventually with her help partly and by finding something that I could do that gave me a, a chance to have some regularity of schedule that was other than cancer appointments. And uh, it did, it did help me a lot. And, and it helped me help her better that I think I was at my best as a caregiver in the last year of her life, because I got myself, I was at my best in the very beginning where I used my contacts and my ability to make phone calls, and my ability to cajole and push and do make connections in the beginning to get her the proper treatment. But then in the last year of her life, I became probably even better, because then with the help of my brother-in-law, Isaac Rodriguez, we were able to, we ended up pretty much directing her hospice care and her later care, with the help of a a couple of good doctors and and other uh, medical personnel. But I think one of the reasons that I was able to become better is because I took care. Of, I did take care of myself. I got stronger, and I made myself stronger.
0: Be sure to stick around to the end of this episode to learn how you can get your rear in gear. When you're at the church without a roof, what do you think about?
1: It depends on the moment. When I first get there, I just kind of sit there, and I look around. I sort of assess. That's the journalist. You know, you're looking around, see what's going on. But I do. I think about, it. that's the time when I sit and just reflect on where I am and it's been five and a half months since I lost you. I still think about her a lot and that's that moment when I'm doing that. And it's just very a quiet, peaceful time, almost meditative. But then it becomes all business. It really does. And that's when the technical part takes over. You know, the F stops and the aperture and the light sensitivity on the camera, getting that right. And I've it's taken some time to learn exactly how to do that, how to shoot birds at, with a higher shutter speed than you normally would do, a higher camera sensitivity than you normally would like. But that's the price you pay for the, for the frozen bird where you get all the feathers in focus from tip to tip. You know, you have to learn all that stuff. So I get very involved in the technical for a while.
0: What's the reaction when you see, Mark, that you really got a terrific shot? How does that feel?
1: I've been asked that before. And my answer is, it's like that first sip of a cold beer on a hot day.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I love that analogy.
1: <laughs> you know, you got it. There uh-huh. have been times when I've gotten the shot. Well, it, it works differently. There are times when I know I've gotten the shot and I say, okay, that's it. Day's over. <laughs> I usually stay longer than that. There were some days where I, I walk out of there all grumpy thinking I got nothing. And then I go home and I look at the shot and I think, whoa, that was yesterday. Yesterday that happened. I, I got some stuff. It was okay. But I got this shot of a pelican that was sort of overexposed. The background was overexposed. And I thought, well, I didn't do that very well. But I got home. I looked at it on the computer. And I thought, oh, my gosh. What happened? That white background pulled that pelican out. It reminded me of a Richard Avedon photo, the guy who used to shoot back in the Studio 54 era, the Andy Warhol photos and uh, all of that. And, and who shot, I think, for Vanity Fair. And he would... Blow out the background, bright white, and then he'd pull the image up in black and white. I thought, I have a Richard Abaddon pelican here, <laughs> and I edited that way. And I actually said something that well, I think one of the hashtags I used on uh, on um, Instagram was uh, Richard Abaddon inspired. And mm. it just—it was a surprise. That's happened a number of times. Where I think I blew it, but then through editing, I realized, "Whoa, I didn't blow it. I actually got a little bit of art here." How did that happen? You know. <laughs> so
0: now this project has caught the attention of some local local centers and hospitals. Is that right?
1: One, yeah, um, we're still in. We're still working on that, so I won't say the name. But I, a a, a medical facility linked to a cancer center, has approached me. And is saying right now that their plan is to take 25 of my sunrise photos. I'm giving them, I'm donating the photos. I'm pleased to do that, proud to do that. They're going to frame them and they're going to put them on their walls so that their patients and nurses, and that was important to me, that it'd be something that benefit them as well, because I saw how hard they worked knowing that some of the patients that they're working with may or may not make it, but they still were incredible. And so I wanted to do something that would help patients and nurses and they've, you know, it's been accepted and we're still in the process of we're going to add, I think some photos to the original list. They came up, I opened up my computer, which had about at that time, 250 photos that were ready for framing. I have a file where I put those one or two a day I opened it up. and said, take anything you want. They took down 50. They had a committee of nurses, patients, and other staffers, and they whittled it down to 25. That's where we are now. And now we just need to work out the, uh, getting them to the framer and deciding exactly which ones we're going to do. And I'll be really pleased when they go up on the wall. So that, that was another unexpected thing that started with one nurse and myself talking, one day I said, you know what? There's a white wall over there. Why, why don't I give you one of, one of my photos behind the nurse's station? And she said, yeah, let me look into it. I thought that was the end of it. She was going to blow it up. Well, she didn't. She went to her boss and came back and said, we'll take it. We'll take one. And then, unfortunately, our cancer battle became more consuming. And my wife's death just, just stopped the process for three months. But then somebody else uh, that I knew there got involved, and we talked again, and now it became a project. They wanted a whole bunch of them, <laughs> so it grew from that one conversation with one nurse. And here's where we are now, and I'm I'm thrilled. I, I can't tell you how thrilled I am to be able to give back like this, because sure. the nurses, you know, I'm I'm mad. I'm you'll understand what I say. I am. I'm mad at medical science, you know, 50 years ago this year, we put two American men on the moon with less technology Lee than you have in your cell phone. How did we do that? And we still haven't gotten this cancer thing down. You know, I'm, I'm angry as everybody who's involved in cancer is about that, but I'm not mad at the doctors. I'm not mad at the nurses. The nurses were absolutely wonderful. The doctor was very good. I had his cell phone Anytime I needed a call, I could do that. He was great, but they're hamstrung by what they know. And the chemo was, you know, the treatment mm-hmm. was rough too. It it, it gave sure. her time. It gave us time. She had three years. We wouldn't have had anything close to that if it weren't for that. But, you know, why, so what I'm saying is despite the fact that I'm mad at medical science and government for not pushing harder for that, for the cure, I am most grateful to the doctors and the nurses and everyone and, and, and supportive of the patients. That's where the gift comes from. And that's what it's based on. I'm, th- I'm thrilled to do that.
0: And what, and what a beautiful way to also, you know, memorialize Judith as well, right?
1: Absolutely. The other thing that's happening is <laughs> this I did not expect is that so many people on my Facebook page have said, well, where's the book? Where's the coffee table book? And I thought you've got to be kidding me! I got coffee table, but now you know, I've looked at some coffee table books, and there's a few that involve sunrises and sunsets, but not maybe having this story. I'm thinking, I don't know, maybe I used to write. Maybe I can do that. And I've got the title, you know, Sunrise for Judith. Like, and I'm thinking of that book Tuesday with Maury Brian's song. You know, Mm -hmm. got a name in there, and so I've I've run that by some people, and I'm in the process of. Talking about that now, I've got three hundred some photos that are ready to go, high res. So let's just do this. <laughs> so I agree. I'm in the beginning. For, I have no idea how to do it, but I'm talking about it, and it's it's the latest project. So it's given me, you know, kind of a, a another focus. One thing that I tell people, you're gonna laugh at this, uh, that given my past career, which was hard news. Dramatically hard news because I was based in Miami. Uh so we had all of Central America, South America, the drug wars, Cuba, Chile, Mexico, the Mexican drug war, the, the border. I tell people that now I have given up chasing narcos and disasters for pelicans and sunrises. <laughs> That's my change, but it's the exact same what I learned is that it requires the exact same skill set to catch mm. a pelican as much as it took to catch Chapo and uh it's preparation positioning and patience it's it's the same thing so in some ways this is also more as much as anything else this is job substitution you know i had a 41 year career i missed some parts of the job not all, all of them but this photography thing kind of satisfies a little bit of what i miss which is the regularity of schedule and using my brain to figure out the logistics now of how to catch that pelican rather than how to do that surveillance on a narco <laughs> it's, it's a strange it's a strange change but i feel that i've made a trade upward uh, by by photographing nature and photographing all things that are positive I, was, I spent 41 years reporting on negative things a lot of times more than more times than not that's just the definition of a hard news reporter which i and an investigative reporter which i was now i don't know how to act all these people are speaking nicely about me and they're sending me nice notes as opposed to hate mail. I don't know (laughs) (laughs) how to (laughs) act. I think what
0: else you're accomplishing too, Mark, is, you know, we, we all, we, we've heard, you know, do we look, but we don't see. Right. And the sunrise happens every single day. Right. The sunrise happens every single day, but you are giving us your audience an opportunity to see it, well, that that's, right uh, to stop and yeah, appreciate yeah, yeah. what you know, what God puts in front of us every single day. Yeah. That most of us don't take the time to to look over our shoulder and, and go to that church without a roof, yeah. if you will, and <laughs> pause and just appreciate the beauty of nature. And you're true. helping us do that, and I think that's pretty special.
1: Thank you. Well, I, I I recently traveled to see a friend of mine in Indianapolis, and I stated his in his wife's apartment and of course being me I wake up early in the morning and they have a a porch over they live down in downtown Indianapolis right in the middle of the city it's kind of an interesting uh, living arrangement and I went out on the porch the sun was coming up I had only my iPhone and I shot the prettiest sunrise in Indianapolis Indiana you wouldn't have you know of course they have beautiful sunrise but you wouldn't think about that And I published it and I showed it to him. He was after he woke up. I said, this is what you're missing. You got to get up, get your butt out of bed. (laughs) Come up to see what I saw. And that is, that's interesting because a lot of people do say, you know, we've never seen this before. Uh, A lot of people also say, I'd like to go out and shoot photos with you. How can I do that? I said, well, first you have to get up at five you got to get up in the dark and go, that's where it stops, right there.
0: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> 9 that, out of 10 yeah. to
1: say, oh, well, I don't know about that. Yeah,
0: that. Yeah, that filters out a lot of the crowd. <laughs> you, know, you
1: have to have a little bit of an investment in that regard, but I spent my whole life in news getting up early. Then I became a, a, a fly fisherman, a flats fisherman in saltwater. That's early morning, so I was used to it. I was destroyed in terms of sleeping late after the years of that, so this is kind of a natural extension. <laughs> That's great.
0: Well, listen, Mark, I really appreciate you taking the time to share your story. It's a story that's uh unique. I've done somewhere around 150 interviews for the We Have Cancer podcast. And yeah. uh you're the first one that with, with this story and and I know our listeners are gonna appreciate it. And and I have no doubt that Judith is looking down and smiling uh on the work that you do every day and because you, you are making a difference in people's lives and uh, and should this project with this soon to be named, hopefully uh, healthcare <laughs> facility comes to fruition, that'll take it to a whole nother level. I so, appreciate it. Thank you. Yeah. So I just wish you all the best and thanks again for making the time.
1: Well, thanks for the chance to talk. I really enjoyed it. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you.
0: Cone Cancer Coalition has wrapped up its events for 2019, but registration is now open for the first two Get Your Rear in Gear 5K Run, Walk, One Mile Fun Run events that take place in 2020. Those dates are for February the 23rd for our friends in Tucson, Arizona, and on Saturday, February 29th for our friends in Austin, Texas. For more information on these and other upcoming events in 2020, check out the Colon Cancer Coalition's website at coloncancercoalition.org. Thank you for listening to We Have Cancer, and thank you to our sponsor, the Colon Cancer Coalition, for your support. You can subscribe to We Have Cancer by visiting Apple Podcasts google podcast stitcher radio or spotify and you can find us on social media by visiting our facebook page at we have cancer show and at we have cancer pod on both instagram and twitter we have cancer is a proud supporter of genie's blue angels providing financial support to those affected by colorectal cancer